Gospel John. It's good to have Josh here. Josh, uh, are you dating somebody or are you engaged? You're dating somebody. And the girl that he's dating got a real high grade in my class, uh, biblical exposition class. And uh, Stan's in that class. Stan, how, how are your grades in that class? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stan's not doing too well in that class. We're just not doing well. <laughs> but you know, Stan didn't pay for the class either, so he didn't Yes, uh, it was a great paper. Good to have you in class. So anyway, we're in the Gospel of John, so turn there. And today we're going to cover verses 31, John chapter 5, verses 31 through 47. Okay. So we're going to finish up the chapter. And we're going to divide it in two parts, verses uh, 31 through 40. We're just going to call that witnesses, and you'll see why. First part, witnesses. And then verses uh, 41 to 47, we're going to call that praise. Okay? Praises. Okay, so witnesses and praises. Now, when we began this chapter, we saw that Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, who was resting by a poolside. He had been paralytic for 38 years, and Jesus heals this man. The man then takes up his bed, his mat that he's on, and he walks. And the Jewish leadership, probably Pharisees, they're not mentioned as Pharisees, probably the Pharisees, who are sort of the, uh, the moral investigators in Israel, they see this guy and they said, you're breaking the Sabbath. By carrying your mat, you're working on the Sabbath. And the guy says, wait a second. Somebody told me to take off my bed and walk. <laughs> Don't blame me for breaking the Sabbath. They say, well, who is it? And eventually the man tells them that it's Jesus. So they confront Jesus, and they charge Jesus with breaking the Sabbath. And you remember what Jesus said? Hey, I'm working, but guess who else is working? My father's working. God works, and I work. And when he's put his, his name in the same sentence with God, they charged him with a second, uh, I guess a second charge, and that was blasphemy, making himself equal with God. And so we saw uh, last week that Jesus uh, rebukes that charge, and in verse 19, he said this, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. And then down in verse 30, he says basically the same thing. I can of myself do nothing. So he says, I'm not trying to make myself equal with God. If I were equal with God, I could do anything I want to do. But I'm not. I'm operating as a man. Uh, I can't do anything of myself. And also in verse 19, he says this. After he says, I can do nothing of myself, he adds, but the Son of Man can only do what he sees the Father do. And we talked about that word see. Okay? And then down in verse 30, he says something very similar. He says, I can of myself do nothing, but as I hear, I judge. So remember those two words, see and hear. Okay? See and hear, because they're going to fit in with what we have to say today. So Jesus basically says, no, I'm not claiming equality with God, but what I am is God's authorized agent on earth. I do what I see him do. 
I say what I hear him say, and that's what I am. I'm his authorized agent. And now he gives a caveat. Okay? So that's where we're picking up today in verse 31. He says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, what's he saying when he says that? He says, basically saying, well, don't take my word for it. Okay? Don't take my word for it. Uh, because according to, see, look what he says. Look at it very carefully in verse 31. If, in other words, if, however, I bear witness of myself, my witness is what? Not true. See? And uh, according to Jewish custom, in order for something to be true, there had to be two witnesses. It's not enough for you to witness to yourself. <laughs> A lot of people are witnessing to themselves, say, I did this, I did that. How do we know that their witness is true? According to the Jewish custom, had to be what? At least two witnesses. Somebody who could attest uh, to the veracity of what you're saying. So to testify to yourself, it's insufficient. It has to be corroborated by someone. For example, you can't witness your own signature on a legal document. Can you? Well, that's my signature. That's my signature on that will. That's my signature on that deed. That's my... What do you have to have to prove that it's your signature? You have to have another witness. See? It has to be, you know, may have to have a notary. Uh, and so we're, as Christians, we're really learning this the hard way. In fact, I'm not sure Christians really understand this concept at all of two witnesses. When I was a director of Youth for Christ, I held big rallies. And I had speakers from all over the United States coming and speaking. And one month I had a guy named Mike Warnke come, claimed to be a former Satanist who got converted, wrote a book called The Satan Seller. And he said, I had talked to him, he said, you, you can trust me, my life was a mess and I was a Satanist. And guess what? Discovered that he was a liar. I had taken his word for it. The word of one witness, a self-witness, and it wasn't true. I remember Criswell College. We had a guy who came to teach at the college in 2000. His name was Michael. He said, just call me Butch for short. But on September 11, 2001, when the Twin Towers came down, he said, I'm going to change my name. He took, he took an Arab name. And then he wrote a book claiming that he was raised in Turkey in a Muslim family and was trained to be a jihadist and he came to the United States to strap a bomb on his body and blow up Americans. And so he later discovered that that wasn't the case at all. He never lived in Turkey. He didn't come to the United States when he was 13 or 15. He was never a jihadist. He was raised the first two years of his life in Switzerland. He came to the United States when he was three years old. But we believed him because that was his story. We had a minister at this church a number of years ago who said, I have a PhD from Wright University. And we believed it. We believed the testimony of one person, self 
attestation of the person themselves. But it wasn't true. Scam artists operate on two principles. Number one, that you will accept their self-testimony. And then the other side of the coin is that you'll never check it out to see if it's true. And that's how people get duped, and we can all get duped. And so that's what Jesus says in verse 31. If I bear witness myself, my testimony is what? It's a lie. It's not true. You need to have other witnesses confirming what I'm saying. Now that word witness or testimony or testify is used 11 times from verses 31 to verse 40. So it's a very important word, and that's why I call this section witness or testimony or testify or whatever. So Jesus then, because of that, he said, I'm going to give a point to another witness who can confirm what I'm saying. So look what he says in verse 32. He says, so there's another who bears witness of me. Ah, so here we're going to have the second witness. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now he's referring to John the Baptist. Okay, we see that in verse 33. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now remember, he's talking to the Jews, to the Jewish leaders. He said, you've actually sent a delegation to hear John yourself, and you believe what John said was true. So there's the second witness. Now, we, when you go back to chapter 1, the prologue of the book, and go back there for a second, we see this concept of John being a witness to Jesus. And everything that's in the prologue, which are the first 20-some verses of John's Gospel, are repeated later on and developed in the book, the Gospel of John. So in John chapter 1 and verse 6, look what it says. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. You see that? This man came for what? A witness. He's going to witness to Jesus. You see that? Came as a witness. If you look down at verse 15, John bore, look, what? Witness of him and cried out, saying, This is the one whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And you see that over in verse 19. Now this is the testimony or the witness of John. How many times have we seen that now? Three times in chapter 1. Uh, when the Jews sent priests. You see that? What did Jesus say? You sent to John. Saw that back in chapter 5. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Well, who are you? And he confessed, and he, and he did not deny, but confessed. He said, Well, I'm not the Christ. No, I'm, I'm going to witness to somebody else who is the Christ. And of course, that was Jesus. And then in verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, when you go back to John chapter 5, you see that. John the Baptist points to Jesus as God's authorized representative or agent on earth. So, we were in verse 33, it says, You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now look at verse 34, he says something very interesting at this point. Yet, yet, I do not receive the testimony of a man. <coughs> You sent a delegation to John, and you believe his testimony. Yet, I do not receive the testimony of a man. What is Jesus talking about? 
He's saying, I don't need to have a second witness to know who I am. See? Uh, he's convinced already of what his mission is. So personally, he doesn't need to have a second testimony. He knows who he is. But they need the second testimony, and that's why he's offering additional witnesses here. And then he says this in verse 34. But I say these things, look at this, that you may be saved. It's for your benefit that I'm introducing a third wit a second witness and a third witness and a fourth witness, which he will do in this section. I've done it that you will be saved. You believe John's message. John came preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. You need to believe that message of that witness that you can be delivered from this world power and entered into the kingdom of God. And then John, this, Jesus describes John's mission in verse 35, which is very interesting. Look how he describes John. He was the burning and shining lamp. Do you see that? That's how Jesus... Do you ever read that in your life? That section of a verse? I don't think I ever remember reading that. John was a burning and a shining lamp. Now notice the word was. He doesn't say John is. You know why? Because by this time, John's been put in prison and he's dead. Uh, the Gospel of John just doesn't tell about it, but the other books do, and John's dead. But when John was alive and he was witnessing, here's how he describes him. In verse 35, he was a burning and a shining lamp. Now what does that mean, a burning lamp? Well, we have an oil lamp with a wick. It could be sitting there and it's not burning. So if it's burning, it's light, it's lit. So he was a witness that was shining. In a sense, he was, it was lit. That's how he's describing John. Could talk about his passion, that he was on fire. When you light something, it's on fire. Could be talking about he was a very passionate witness. And then he says this, and he was a shining witness, which means he was a bright witness. Uh, you couldn't miss John. When he came and spoke, you couldn't miss him. It was a, he gave a testimony that couldn't be ignored. So notice he describes John as a lamp. Never saw that in my life before. Now I want you to see another verse. It's very interesting. I want you to look. That was the Santa Claus, or was that Santa Claus doing that? Okay, that's, uh, go, to, go to Psalm 132. Psalm 132. That's somebody trying to look at the, the standings of the football standings. Uh, Psalm 132. Okay, you ready? Psalm 132. This is sort of interesting. This is what we call a messianic psalm. It tells what's going to happen when, when uh, God sets up his kingdom. And uh, we won't read all of it, but I'll just show you a couple, uh, couple verses there. Psalm 132. And uh, in verse 15 it says, God has chosen Zion. That's, uh, that's Israel. He's desired it for his dwelling place. And one day, God is going to come and Israel will be his dwelling place. He goes on and on and on. And look down at verse 17. He says, therefore, there I will make the horn of David. That's when I'm going to set up the government that was promised to King David. I'll make the horn of David grow. Now watch this. I will prepare a lamp. You see that? For my anointing. <laughs> I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. You see the word is anointed in capital in a lot of your Bibles? 
Jesus is the anointed one that God's going to send to set up the kingdom. And guess who the lamp is? The lamp is John the Baptist. And that's fulfilled over in the New Testament. So here we see the anointed one, God's representative on earth. He speaks for God upon whom the Holy Spirit has come. And a lamp that shines a witness on him, and that's John the Baptist. Right there, it's prophecy, which is fulfilled over here in John chapter 5 and verse 34, which is sort of interesting to me. Okay, now look at verse, end of verse 35. So it says, he was a burning, that's John, was a burning and a shining lamp, he couldn't be ignored. And look what it says in verse 30, end of verse 35. And you, that's the Jewish leaders, were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. There was a time you actually believed what he said. For a short while. But then guess what they did? They turned on John, they threw him in prison, and they killed him. So, at first, they testified that John's witness was true. And it's only recently that they have uh, rejected John's <laughs> witness. So, Jesus says, don't take my word for it that I'm God's authorized representative. But I introduce to you another witness, John the Baptist. That's corroborating witness number one. Okay, ready? Witness number two. Look at verse 36. But I have a greater witness than John's. And here's what it is. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. If you want to believe that I am God's representative, just look at my works. Well, what works is he talking about there? Were the works which the Father has given me to finish. Those works do bear witness. What works? What has he done so far that they've seen? Yeah, he's healed the nobleman's son by long distance. Remember that? He has healed the man by the poolside. He's turned water into wine. He has overturned, cleansed the temple, chased them out, speaking on behalf of God. And so his works testify to who Jesus is, that he is God's authorized envoy who speaks and acts on behalf of God. So that's the second reason you should believe Jesus. There are two witnesses that confirm what he says. Okay, now look at witness number three. Look at verse 37. And the Father himself who sent me has testified to me. The Father who sent me has testified to me. When did God testify to Jesus? When he was baptized and the voice from, came from heaven and the voice said what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And he sent the Holy Spirit as a dove upon him and anointed Jesus as his representative on earth. So we have a third witness, and that's the witness of God the Father himself. And then look at the end of verse 37. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. Talks to them. You've neither heard his voice, nor seen his form. What did I say about Jesus back in 19 and 30? Do you remember? In verse 19, what does he do? He sees the Father. In verse 30, what does he do? He hears the Father. What does he say over here in verse 37 about the Jewish leaders? You have neither, what? Heard his voice at any time, nor seen him. But Jesus has. So 
You claim to be God's representatives on earth. The Pharisees and the Jewish leaders claim to be God's representatives on earth, but they've never seen God and they've never heard God. But Jesus has. Now, there was somebody in the Old Testament that heard God once and saw God. He was up on a mountain called Mount Sinai. Who was that? Yeah, Moses heard God. And Moses saw the shadow of God, the back of God, <laughs> come right by him. And then guess what? God sent Moses down to speak and act on his behalf. Moses was God's authorized agent on earth for the old age. Jesus is God's authorized agent on earth for the new age, the kingdom age. The law came by Moses, chapter 1 says, but truth and grace comes from, through Jesus Christ. So, Jesus is God's authorized agent for God's people today. Now look at verse 38. But you do not have his word abiding in you. Look at that. You do not have his word abiding in you. That means living in you. Uh, they heard Moses. They had the law, they had the law of Moses. But uh, it went in one ear and out the other. It did never took up residence. The word abide or dwelling there means residence. It never took up residence in their lives. It never made a change in their lives. So he says in verse 38, You do not have the word of God abiding in you. Why not? How does Jesus know they do not have the word of God abiding in them? Because whom he sent, him you do not believe. Because of whom he sent, you do not believe. Well, the first person he sent was Moses. And guess what? They don't believe Moses. They don't believe Moses. Uh, what they've done is their tradition has supplanted Moses. They, they're twisting Moses' words, you see. So uh, they don't uh, retain that word. They don't believe that word. Because he whom you sent, whom he sent, you do not believe. So they used Moses. To, now they quoted Moses, didn't they? They said, you broke the Sabbath. You broke the fourth commandment. That was Moses. But that's not what Moses was talking about. You took up your mat and walked that you were breaking. See, they twisted. They twisted the law of Moses. Ah, you've committed blasphemy. See how they took the law of Moses and they twisted it and tried to turn it out for their own use? So... We have this threefold indictment. If you look really closely, you can see the threefold indictment. But if you don't look closely, you can't see the threefold indictment. You see a threefold indictment there? Just look at that. And this is what I'm teaching in my exposition class students how to observe a text. The first thing you do when you're going to put together a sermon is you have to first observe the text and write down what you observe. Now, look, a threefold indictment. Look in verse 37. You have neither heard. That's the first indictment. You haven't heard. Look at the second indictment. Nor have you seen. You see that? That's the second indictment. Look at the third indictment. But you do not have his word abiding in you. You see that? Three things. They haven't heard God, they haven't seen God, and they don't have his word abiding in you. Threefold indictment against the Jewish leaders who claim to be God's representatives on earth themselves and rejecting Christ as God's representative. Okay, so we've had some witnesses here, haven't we? What were the witnesses so far? John the Baptist, 
his works, and the Father, right? Now look at verse 39. This is the fourth witness. You search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which do what? Testify or witness to me. So the fourth witness is the scripture. The Old Testament scripture. All Old Testament scripture points to Jesus. Every part of the Old Testament scripture points to Jesus. Now they read the Old Testament scripture. He says you search the scripture. And in them you think you have life. And a lot of people read the Bible and they think, well, I've got life because I'm a good person. I mean, I read the Bible. But what does Jesus say about those scriptures? In verse 39, he says, they, what? Testify to me. Jesus is the author of life, not the scripture. Scripture is important. But you can read the scripture from morning to night and not have eternal life if you miss Jesus in the scriptures. The scriptures testify to who Jesus is. And then verse 40, it says this. But you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. So what's the issue? They can't get life through scripture alone. Scripture points to Jesus. And here's the real problem that these people have. You are not willing to come to me you might have life. A lot of people in churches that read the Bible, but they're not willing to come to Jesus. And the issue is always the will. It's the volition. Uh, most people are not willing to come to Jesus. Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, remember when he said this? Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would what? You would not. You rejected me. It's always a matter of the will. For God so loved the world that whosoever will say, will have eternal life. So it's a matter of the will. You would not come to me. So verses 1 through 40, this section we call witnesses. And now we come to the second section. We're going to call this praises or honor. Okay? So look at verse 41. I do not receive the honor of men, meaning the honor of praise. Uh... The word receive means I do not welcome. I do not welcome uh, the praise or the or honor from men. Jesus doesn't need praise and honor from people. He's self-assured. Uh, that's different than us. We all need praise from people. We need people to pat us on the back. Jesus says, I don't receive that. I don't need that. Remember Nicodemus? He came, Hi, Jesus! Remember that? Nicodemus came, We know you're a good teacher come from God. Remember he said it? And Jesus said, What? You don't know anything. Now, why? Now I tell you, if a rich man came to me and said, Hey, Street, you're a good teacher. I'd say, You want to go out to lunch? <laughs> yeah. Jesus doesn't need that. Now, look, this is the second thing Jesus said he doesn't need or he doesn't receive. What did he say out in verse 34? I do not receive the testimony of men. Do you see that? Uh, verse 34. I don't welcome the testimony of men. And look what he says in verse 41. I do not receive the honor or praise of men. Why not? Why doesn't Jesus want praise from people? Why doesn't he want uh, honor from people and witness from people? Because he knows what's in man. He knows how fickle they are. <laughs> One day they're with you and the next day they'll turn on you. 
Just like they did on John the Baptist. They believed John the Baptist for a while, and then they threw him in prison and killed him. You see that? So Jesus doesn't need that. But we're just the opposite. We all need that. We want to belong to the Mutual Admiration Society. You know, you pack my back and I'll pack your back. Look, I've written a couple of books, and on the back, you know what I got? I got endorsements. And what does that endorsement say? Praise him, praise him. <laughs> right? And, and I could say, well, I'm, I got the endorsement, so the people who are looking at the book will buy it. And that's true, but I like it too. So I'm going to try to find, you know, on my one book, you'll look at the popular book, O.S. Hawkins is on there. My first book on preach, evangelistic preaching and the invitation, Dr. Criswell is on there. I'm trying to get the biggest names I can get so people will be praising them. And then in turn, I praise them. <laughs> and that's how we operate. So, uh, I have a friend who lives up in uh, Wheaton, Illinois, and he was really big in in, uh, in the, oh, what should I call it, the Reformed theology movement and uh, Calvinism movement and uh, uh, all these real big speakers, uh, you know, R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur and all these really big speakers. He was, uh, he was on the conference trail with them. His name is John Armstrong. I'll just mention his name. And he was, he's written, you know, half a dozen books, and you don't know him now. But if you had lived 20-some years ago and been part of that, you would have recognized him as one of the top names you know, on the circuit. And uh, he would praise the other speakers, and they would praise him. He had journals. He wrote journals. and He, had, he was an editor of a journal, and they wrote, put their articles, and he put their articles in the journal for them. And they invited him to the conferences, and it's, you know, each one endorsing the other. And one day he got up there and he was reading. He was going to speak. He had thousands of people in front of him ready to speak. And uh, as he was sitting there, he was flipping through his Bible, or maybe it was the night before, I can't remember. And uh, he read John 17, the Gospel of John, verse 17, uh, chapter 17, which says something like, you know, uh, that we should love one another. <laughs> and that we should all be unified in the body of Christ. And he got so convicted, the next day he got up and he spoke about, hey, we shouldn't be divided over this minor <laughs> theology, whether you believe in free will or Calvinism. Based on the text, he never got invited back to another conference. <laughs> because he was no longer praising and that. He decided to stand with the Word of God. Twenty years later, he's just starting to make inroads in you know, other circles, but this man paid a price. Jesus said, I don't need the witness of a man, human beings. I don't need praise and honor from people, because Jesus knew how fickle they were. This guy got praise, this my friend got praise and honor from these people for years, and then guess what? In one moment, just turn around. Because he didn't cross his teeth the same way they did and didn't dot his eyes the same way they did. It's an amazing thing. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. Does that make sense? I don't need honor from men, verse 41. Now look at verse 42. Because Jesus knows who he is. He doesn't, he's self-assured. He doesn't need to be complimented. Now verse 42. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. Wow. That's pretty strong. But I know myself. I don't need anybody to pat me on the back, but I know you. And here's what I know about you. You don't have the love of God in you. 
Boy, that was like slapping someone in the face. Now, that's the second thing they don't have. If you notice, look in verse 38. You don't have the Word of God abiding in you. Do you see that in verse 38? That's number one. And number two, verse 42, you don't have the love of God abiding in you. Well, if you don't have the Word of God abiding in you, you don't have any charity or love for God or God's love for other people involved in you, then you certainly are not representing God. You may be representing yourself. And here's the evidence that Jesus knows what he says is true. Look in verse 43. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. Even though I've, the Scriptures testified to me, even though I've done all the miracles, I've come in my Father's name, I haven't taken any credit for this. In fact, I said just the opposite. Of myself, I can do what? Nothing. I've come in the Father's name, and you do not receive me. But watch this in verse 43. If another comes in his own name, <laughs> him you will receive. <laughs> it's a great one, isn't it? Some self-appointed prophet shows up on the scene. <laughs> Some self-ordained minister shows up on the scene. You'll fall for that scam every time. All they have to do is start praising you, patting you on the back, and nodding their hat to you and say, yes, you, know, you accept them. So Jesus says, yeah, you're only in this for self. You know, you're really not trying to discern God's will in any of this. Look at verse 44. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek honor that comes from God only? Do you see that? How can you believe when you're always trying to get patted on the back? and uh, you don't seek the honor that comes from God alone you always want to be tooting your own horn you know. how can you believe and what is the answer the answer is what well what's the question how can you believe who receives honor from one another and do not seek the honor remember the question is how can you believe and the answer is what you can't if that's your stance, you can't believe. You're an unbeliever, no matter what you say. See, doesn't that make sense? <coughs> so notice there are two kinds of honor there. Do you see that? There are two kinds of praise. There's, two, there's true praise, true honor, that comes from God. And then there's false honor that comes from the good old boy system. Oh, good job. Thank you, thank you, thank you. True honor and false honor. Look at verse 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. No, I'm not here to condemn you. In fact, the scripture says that. Christ came not into the world to what? Condemn the world. I'm not here to accuse you. <laughs> he came that the world would be saved. But I'm not going to try to condemn you to the Father, accuse you to the Father. There is one in verse 45... Who accuses you? Who is it? <laughs> Moses, in whom you trust. <laughs> you claim that you trust Moses. You quoted him the Sabbath. You quoted the prophet, uh, blasphemy. You claim that you trust Moses, but the reality, you don't even know what Moses says. And Moses and the law is what's going to accuse you. 
you're going to stand guilty before God because you're quoting Moses and you're quoting him wrongly and the law itself will accuse you. Moses himself will accuse you. Give me verse 46. Because, for, if you believed Moses, meaning if you really believed Moses, what would have happened? You would believe me because he wrote it. You can just, when you read these kinds of discussions and conversations that Jesus has with people, you can see how logical Jesus is. He's the most logical person who ever lived. And you can't get out of his argument. <laughs> There's no way you can get out. He said, if you would have believed Moses like you say you believe, you would believe me because he wrote about me. And if you believed in me, you'd have life. And since you don't believe in me, guess what you don't believe? You don't have life. You don't have eternal life. Look at verse 47. Last verse. But if you don't believe his writings, which Jesus personally don't, how will you believe my words? And the answer is what? You can't. And you won't. So Moses points to Jesus. There's a greater than Moses who has arrived, it's Jesus, and in him is life, and whosoever believes in him has eternal life. All others have death. These people have chosen not to really follow the law of Moses. They've chosen to make the law of God of no effect through their traditions by twisting and turning the scriptures for their own sins. Unfortunately, there are many people who call themselves Christians and church people today who do the same thing. We need to make certain that we don't do that. We take scripture at face value, we observe it, we interpret it, and we obey it. And when we do, it leads us to Jesus. Next week, we'll look at Jesus feeding the 5,000. That's where we'll pick up chapter 6, verse 1. Right. Lord, we thank you for a, a wonderful Sunday school lesson. Uh, one that we need to understand. One that we need to heed. We need to be weary of people who make claims for themselves without evidence without proof. Help us not to be fall for these scams and false prophets and false teachers. And they're all around us, all everywhere. They've been in their midst in church, they've been in their midst on television, radio, all around us. Help us to realize the importance of having more than one witness to confirm the truth. And then Lord, help us to realize that we do not need the endorsement of others. We are in Christ. In Christ we have life. Help us not to fall into the trap of seeking praise and honor from others that then compromise us and make us have to reciprocate and give honor back to them whether they deserve it or not. Help us to hear your word. Well done, now, good and faithful servant. Help us to be satisfied with your affirmation of heaven. In Christ's name. Amen. Have a good day.